Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Church of Huntsville Young Adult Podcast. I'm your host, John Lemons, the minister to young adults at First Baptist Huntsville. And this is season four of our podcast. And on the episode today, we're going to be talking about the first of a four-part series called The Bible, The Body, and The Brain. This was a summer Bible study series that we did as a young adult group at large for all of our Sunday morning Bible studies. And so a lot of what you'll be hearing will be what was recorded in the room. And each week I'll give a brief opening to introduce the topic. When we were in the room together, I started each session with a devotional style thought or lesson and then followed it with a discussion on the topic at hand with me and other young adults or professionals in our community who are knowledgeable on each week's topic. Now, it'll be starting today. I'll give you the devotional or thought or lesson or whatever we're going to call it here just in a recording due to some mic issues that were happening uh, on the recording in the room, but you'll still hear the discussion with me and some of the other young adults. Now, for today's topic, we're talking about physical health and the importance of physical health and our bodies and how that relates to our faith and our discipleship. One of the things that I mentioned early on in the discussion that fascinates me most about this topic is that I think this is going to be an ever-increasing and growing topic in theology and Christian practice in the coming decades, uh, especially as we see things like AI emerge in just about every way we can imagine, from language to writing to art to even audio and video media. Technologies like deepfake videos can make it difficult for us to even decipher if what we're watching is even real or not. When we receive an email or a text, what are the chances in the coming years that those are not even going to be written by a human? When we listen to music on our road trips or our jogs or our chores around the house, are those going to be songs produced by artificial intelligence? And will all of this lead to a deeper appreciation and a deeper hunger for things that are truly and really human? Will we value in-person interactions and events even more, or live theater even more, or live music even more, maybe even handwritten notes even more, because we'll know that those are human and it will be the only way to even know that. So I think that will be a reality that might emerge in the coming years, and I'll talk about that more coming up later in the episode. I think also there's a risk whenever you talk about the topic of physical health, of the reality of things like body shaming or making people feel bad about their bodies. That's one of the things that I think our one of our panelists, Cameron, addresses really well. As I was listening to this recording and editing it for this podcast, it really provoked some thoughts in me that it did not when we were on the stage together. And I thought there were interesting implications developing out of what he shared. So I'll share those with you now. Um, one of the things about our current culture and the way we talk about health and the way we talk about dieting is so much of it that I see is shame-based. And I think if you focus on your physical health from the basis of shame, it's never going to work for you, or at least you lessen the chances that it's going to work for you. And here's what I mean by that. So if you're on a diet, you know, we'll talk about on diets, having cheat days, or we'll talk about rewarding ourselves. And, and usually the connotations that are included with that are things that we would consider unhealthy. So we're going to, we're going to have a cheat day and eat ice cream or reward ourselves and, and have some cookies. Or we'll say, I've done so good. I get to reward myself. I remember a number of years ago when I lived in Chattanooga, there was a Brewster's ice cream by my house that always had something on their side that would say something like, did you get out of bed today? Treat yourself. Uh, so this idea or this kind of language, I think lends itself to, if, if nothing else, the subconscious idea that we are depriving ourselves when we are focusing on our health. And I think this is a shame-based approach. And I hope that if nothing else, this episode today will help us begin to see that caring for ourselves, whether it's in what we eat or our fitness or going to the doctor, whatever it is, 
caring for ourselves and, and having to do anything with our physical health isn't depriving ourselves, but in fact, it is loving ourselves. So I think we have to be very careful in our approach and our mentality and mental health and our mental framework is something that will be part of the topic next week, but that goes hand in hand with our physical health. The way we think about this, the way we talk about this, if we do it from a place where we feel deprived all the time or we feel ashamed, then it's not going to work well. I think if we can just shift our minds, my encouragement will be for us to shift our minds towards thinking more about our health as something that we do that does treat yourself. So, you know, a, a kind of approach that will say, I'm not going to focus on my diet because I feel bad about who I am, but instead because I love myself and I want to be better and I want to honor this body that God gave me. So I hope that makes sense. And I think Cameron touches on it really well. And it's just a mentality shift that I think could make a huge difference for us when we talk about this topic, when we think about this topic, when we approach it in our day-to-day -day lives. We focus on our physical health, not because we are ashamed of ourselves, not because we are mad at ourselves, but because we love ourselves and we want to honor God and truly honor the bodies that he gave us. So with that said, I hope you appreciate today's episode. Check the show notes for additional resources if you would like to explore this further. And without further ado, here's the Bible, the body and the brain, episode one, physical health. All right, so let's talk about physical health and this idea of what does it mean in physical health to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. What does it mean to have or to develop what I'm going to call in a few moments a theology of our bodies? What does that look like? What does that mean for us spiritually? What does it mean for our growth, our interaction with one another, with the scriptures, with our faith, and that sort of thing? So that's what this episode is going to be about. And first of all, as we go there, let me tell you guys, uh, a few weeks ago, I went to the state of Washington because if you don't know, I'm in school right now trying to get a doctorate. And as an aside, that's something that <laughs> sometimes I feel like I, I made a mistake there. But anyways, I had to go to a cohort a few weeks ago and I flew up there, rented a car and I paid for it. And I specified in the rental process that I would like a Toyota Camry or similar, you know, just your standard run-of-the-mill sedan. So I, I got there, I checked in at the at the desk for the rental car agency. It was just after midnight Pacific time, and I got to the counter, and they said, hey, we don't have any Toyota Camrys. Can we give you a Nissan Altima instead? And I said, sure, absolutely. You know, it's, your, it's still your standard run-of-the-mill sedan. It's going to cost the same price, that kind of thing. That's fine. So in processing that, they realized that they only had one Nissan Altima available and it was due for an oil change. And so the woman behind the counter said, can we give you our next best thing? And I said, okay. And what they gave me was not your standard run of the mill sedan. It was a BMW X5, uh, a BMW SUV, if you don't know what an X5 is, but they gave me that at the price of a Toyota Camry. And so first of all, this thing on the inside was like a spaceship. I did not know even how to start it. You should have seen me when I got in. It was unlike any other car I've ever been in. You know, like every other car I've ever been in, when you go to start it, the button or the ignition is right there on the dash or right behind the steering wheel on the column. In the BMW X5, it wasn't there. It was on the console between the seats. And I kid you not, it literally probably took me about five minutes to figure that out, uh, to figure out where it was, to figure out how to start the car. And then, you know, every other car I've ever driven, the gear shift is either right there on the steering column or it's between the seats and it's got, you know, park and reverse and neutral and 
drive and, and the gear shift just kind of slides up and down between those two. But on the BMW X5, it was more like a joystick where the shaft just kind of stays in place and you sort of push it forward or you push it back to go in drive or to go in reverse or to park or whatever. And so the, the actual gear shift itself stays in place and you just kind of push it around, like I said, like a joystick. And so every other car I've ever driven didn't have that. It had an easier way to figure out how to start the car. And then the third thing that was different about it, every other car I've ever driven, you have to park. And the BMW X5 parks itself, which is pretty awesome. And I have to say, I did have a lot of fun with that. But I also very quickly realized, and I put myself under the pressure of realizing that I had something in my care that I really had to take care of. And I really understood the value of it or the realization of the value of this particular car. And it stressed me out a little bit. You know, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, man, I really got to take care of this because if I damage this, I don't know what my insurance is going to do. You know, this is not your average run of the mill sedan. So it's something I have to be very careful with. And the whole time I had it, I had fun driving it. I really enjoyed it. I told my wife I wanted one. Uh, you know, we're both in nonprofit work, so a BMW is not in our budget, but it really was this realization that I have to take care of this, that this is something over and above what I normally would have the value uh, to be able to afford, um, that sort of thing. So I bring that to this conversation because I think sometimes the way that we think about our bodies as gifts from God, the ways we value that, sometimes we do value that, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we overanalyze or overthink about that. And I think that's a, it can be an unhealthy perspective to have as well. So I want to have this conversation about that, about our bodies, about physical health and the implications of that for our faith. I also want to say, I think sometimes if you grew up like me, you maybe sort of had a low biblical body image. For instance, you may have heard, you know, everything that's of the flesh is bad or everything that's material or physical is bad. And we need to think about spiritual things for sure. But that was often the only thing that was ever really pushed on us was think about your spiritual life. Think about this, think about that spiritually. And we were really discouraged from things that involved our bodies or involved, you know, physical aspects of reality. So where does that come from? There are a few passages that probably lend themselves to this idea. So uh, Galatians 5, for instance, says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. First Corinthians 3 says you are still of the flesh, talking about still being in our sinful nature. Romans 7 says, when we are in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work within us. And you might have a footnote in your Bible there uh, that talks about in context like this, the Greek word for the flesh is the word sarks, which refers actually to the sinful state of human beings often presented as a power in opposition to the spirit. Uh, so this Greek word had a range of meanings. If you study the Bible long enough, you'll realize that sometimes words have multiple meanings. Uh, you may be more familiar with the Latin word for sarx in Greek is the Latin word carne, as in chili con carne or queso con carne. And it's literally, it just means meat or flesh. Uh, you know, we use the word incarnation at Christmas time. That literally just means the embodiment or the enfleshment of Jesus. Uh, if you give someone a carnation flower or if they give you a carnation, scholars think or linguists think that 
the name of the flower may have come from the fact that it resembled carne, uh, that it resembled raw meat or muscle or whatever. But flesh also carries the idea or the meaning of something being carnal. So it's not just the literal meaning of, of flesh or meat or whatever, but it's also this sort of symbolic meaning of something that is carnal. So we understand that today, if we were to say today that something was carnal, you would immediately probably think of things that talk more about sort of our base instincts or things that, you know, are, make us probably more similar to the animal realm than to the human realm. And so the word can carry either the literal meaning of something being fleshed or something being embodied, but it also can carry this more metaphorical meaning of something being more like an animal instinct or more like our basic human instincts. And those are the things that I think the Bible ultimately condemns, that it's ultimately saying, hey, this is not what it means to be human. We'll see ranges of meanings like this, even in reverse. So a lot of us know in the Greek, there's four words for love. There's actually eight, but there's four main ones. And you've probably heard it before. There's storge, eros, philia, and agape. Whereas in English, we just have the word love. So I can say, I love ice cream. I love my wife. And I'm using the same word, and it's up for you to decide and determine the weight of how much I love ice cream versus how much I love my wife. And uh, you just decipher that from the context or just from knowing the language. Whereas if I was in the Greek, I could make that differentiation for you. I could use a different Greek word that means love, but carries a different connotation or a different weight with it. So it's the same way in reverse with the word carne or sarx in the Greek. You have to decide if it's talking about the literal body or if it's talking about this more metaphorical sort of human or animalistic instinct. That's the thing that the, the Bible wants us to get away from is, is the devaluing or dehumanizing of ourselves. Uh, so when it condemns the flesh, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about our literal bodies. Uh, the idea of condemning our bodies also comes from the influence of Greek philosophy, not biblical philosophy. Uh, you've probably heard before about the Gnostics. They were a kind of bastardization of first century Christianity, where they believe that anything that was physical or material was automatically bad and your focus or your concentration needed to be on the spiritual realm, uh, that you needed to worry about your spiritual knowledge, your spiritual growth, that sort of thing. And the Bible actually refutes this way of thinking. Um, that Gnostic idea and that Greek philosophy was very prevalent in the first century. So uh, we will find refutations of this in the scriptures, like uh, in John, uh, he will say, this is how you recognize the spirit of God that every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, and he emphasizes that Jesus has become a body. Um, and so he says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. He's emphasizing that Jesus came in bodily form. Uh, and he does this again and again and again in his writings. He'll say, many deceivers have gone out into the world, people who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Any such person, he says, is the deceiver and the antichrist. So the Bible's really hammering home this idea that Jesus came in the body and that that is important. Uh, this also has implications for us, James says. Uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So this is a very physical reality. And this is also a refutation of Gnosticism because they would say that the material things, the physical things didn't matter, that taking care of other people or taking care of ourselves doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about that sort of thing. And first century Christianity very much said, no, that's not the case. It does matter. We do need to take care of one another's physical needs. And then finally, Paul refutes it even by saying that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the spiritual forces 
of evil. He's he's emphasizing here that not everything that's physical or material is bad, and not everything that is spiritual is good. So we have to make these differentiations and these determinations and these distinctions. So let's get back to Jesus and uh, the basic teachings of Christianity. Jesus came in the body. He died in the body. He was raised in his body. He bodily raised and he bodily ascended. And think about that for a second, because I don't think we talk much about the fact that he bodily ascended. Where is he now? I, I don't really know. It's mind blowing to think about. And it's something that theologians debate from time to time. And we'll talk more about this when we talk about the resurrection in a few weeks. But just the body of Jesus has always been central to who Jesus is and what it means for God to redeem us in the body. So the body is important. It's included in redemption. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, he says, as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, or in other words, we who have been given the Holy Spirit through our salvation, he says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So it's not just our souls, it's the redemption of our bodies. Again, when I was in Washington, the seminary that I'm at is Portland Seminary. And one of the things we're talking about in this class is the study of what's called semiotics, which is the study of signs and not like the signs, like end times kind of signs, but the signs that can show us where culture is headed. Where's culture going? What does that mean for the church? What does it look like for the church? How can the church get ahead of that and meet the culture with the gospel? That's what the study of semiotics is all about. So why is this important for us now? Why is having conversations now about what it means to be human, what it means to live out our lives together, what it means to have a proper and healthy view of our bodies? Why is that important? We are being inundated every day now with things like deep fakes, artificial intelligence, chat GPT, uh, AI art is becoming a thing now. That's even entered into the conversation. Uh, you've probably heard about the writer's strike that's happening in Hollywood. That is all about the production companies and the writers not wanting them to use AI to produce scripts for television shows or movies and things like that. You've heard about maybe artificial intelligence music that sounds like Drake or that sounds like The Weeknd. This has really raised alarms for them because it's how they make their living. You may have heard about the automated McDonald's in Fort Worth, Texas now, where you can literally order buy a screen uh, and then go through the drive-through and everything is automated. There's like one person in the whole restaurant who puts the frozen patties into the machine when it runs out, but otherwise it's all machine run and everything is cooked by machines and done by machines. It's fully automated. So the question then becomes, what does this mean for us as humans? We've heard about this even with Amazon. They're experimenting with drones for delivery and Elon Musk is trying to develop automated cars. What does that mean for people who are delivery drivers or for people where that is their form of income, that is their livelihood? The key questions that are raised by this is, again, what does it mean for us to be human and to value our physical humanity? Is there going to be a value placed on live or in-person things or handwritten things in the future? When we go to school, are we going to return to sort of oral presentations and oral examinations with our teachers or professors because then they will know that it was done by a human and not by a machine. Will teachers maybe give you better grades or not take off as much on your grades when you turn in a paper with grammatical errors? Because it means that you wrote it, right? Will we value live theater or in-person theater or community theater even more than we do now because we'll know, hey, that's real human people in front of us and not AI on a screen? 
Will we value handwritten notes because we know that someone has taken the time themselves to write it and it's not just an AI manifestation of, of words? Those are questions that we have to ask. Will there be a focus in the future on buying human in the same way that we have a focus now on buying local? That's a question about the future. What are the implications of all of this? Will, will imperfect be perfect? Will we value things more because of their imperfection, because of their flaws? Because then that means that it's human. These are all questions that we have to ask and all things we have to consider. Uh, will we value things more because they have flaws, because that means they're human? We don't know. And there's some things that we don't want to have flaws. You don't want your car or an airplane that you get in to have any flaws. So those sorts of things we're going to want, I think, to have perfection. But other things are the things that are key to our identity as a collective people. Will we value things more that are, that are handmade or that are hand done or that are human done? We don't know. What this all comes down to is the intentionality and the value with which God has created us and redeemed us. That's going to become premium. And I think this idea of valuing the human aspect of life will become its own apologetic, its own defense of the faith that, that says, you know what? We're not an accident. We're not a clump of cells, that there was intention, that there was value given to us, even in our flaws, and that our flaws in and of themselves are beautiful that there's value in us, even with our flaws, because it means that we are human. We've had a theology of the body as a church since the first century, going all the way back to those writings from John and James and Paul. But I think it's time for us to recapture this in the 21st century. If I could summarize this idea in one passage and one phrase, it, it would be Paul talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by everything. So we're saying this conversation that we might have about our freedoms or about the things that we can do, you know, during the pandemic, there are issues of my body, my choice, which is really interesting when you talk about or think about that in the perspective of masks and abortion and things like that. But when we're having these thoughts about what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be able to do certain things? We have to ask ourselves, are these beneficial. And with him in, in First Corinthians, this particular church had issues with sexuality. And that's a conversation that comes up. Anytime you talk about physical bodies, that's, that's one of the topics that headlines it. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but honestly, it gets a lot of press. So I want to talk about some other things uh, with, with just our physicality as well. But he goes on to say, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And that was an issue for that church. He connected our sexuality to our spirituality, but it's not limited to just that. This, this was an issue for that church, but honestly, for all of us, this idea of our physicality that is connected to our spirituality. So he's illustrating it for them with sexuality in particular, but really the broader point is that what we do with our bodies affects us spiritually. So I want to have a conversation about that. And at this point, I'm going to invite some people to join that conversation with me. You'll hear the panel discussion that we have uh, in here in just a few moments. But if I can summarize all of this, like I said earlier, with one phrase, I would say that a, a proper Christian theology and a proper theology of our bodies would say that we are more than our bodies, that there are aspects to us that are spiritual, that have that element to them that are important. However, we're more than our bodies, but we are not less than our bodies. Our bodies are not unimportant. So I hope that you take from this, that idea, that value, if you haven't had that value in your body before, I hope, like I said earlier, that 
you see your body and you care for your body, not out of shame, not out of disappointment, but out of love and out of wanting to honor the body that God gave you. So there is a value to your body. There's a medium between two extremes that we have to live in, that we have to find. And I think for the 21st century, we're going to have to, as churches and as Christians, we're going to have to work through this together and what it looks like. So we'll start the conversation here with some of my friends, Shelly and Cameron and Ian. I hope it serves as a model for you to have your own conversations. And I hope you enjoy this conversation on what it means to care for our bodies and to to lean into this idea of developing a healthy theology of our bodies and what it means then to connect our bodies and, and our care for our bodies to our faith and our discipleship with Jesus. So enjoy. I have invited a few people who have kind of, I think, worked through this in various degrees in their own lives. So if you guys will welcome Cameron Howe, Ian McGinnis, and Shelly Mills to the stage, we're going to have a conversation with them. Thank you all for coming and being a part of this. So first of all, question one is, tell us who you are and where we might see you around the church. We'll start with Shelly. I'm Shelly Mills. I am the associate minister to kids and families here, so you'll probably see me with the children or running all over. I'm Cameron Howell. Uh, I attend the First Fellowship service. You'll see me there. Um, I play with the band. I play guitar, so I play in the First Fellowship band. I also play with the youth during the liftoff, so during the school year. And then I teach in the Friends and Followers Bible study. I'm Ian McGinnis. I go to first service usually, unless my kids are having a tantrum in the morning. Um, and I'm also a part of Friends and Followers, and I'm probably the newest member of the missions committee. Excellent. All right. So I want you guys to briefly tell us also about your relationship with physical health in general or your physical health. How has it become something you've been more aware of lately? And I'll say too, we've communicated about this previously and, and I've asked them as best you can to try to keep your answers succinct because I want to have time for you guys to ask questions as well. And I'll, I'll give you a way to do that in a few moments, but we'll start again with Shelly. Briefly tell us about your relationship with your physical health and how it's become something you've been more aware of. Yeah. So um, when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with AGS, which basically just means um, I might love to eat beef, pork, chicken, all those things, but my body hates it. So over the years, I've struggled with being able to actually eat food. Um, I can now, thanks to medical advances and medicines and surgeries, which is wonderful. I just can't eat pork. So I live a life without bacon, which is kind of sad. Terrible. It is horrible. I had it since I was 15. I'm very upset about it. Um, and I recently learned that I have to be gluten-free as well. So one of my favorite foods, a pork sandwich, is not is not in your wheelhouse. No. No. So, Cameron, what about you? Absolutely. So, um, you know, John asked me to be on the panel. I have struggled with weight loss my entire adult life. So John's got some pictures if you want to put them up there. So if you look at the bottom right corner, uh, that's me um, between my second and third year pharmacy school. I'm about 280 pounds in this photo. Always struggle with it. Uh, and if you look at the photo, the one to the right of that, that's actually last year. So we took the same picture. We were in the Florida Keys. So an interesting story about this, not long after this, uh, during spring break of my third year pharmacy school, we went to Six Flags Over Georgia. I sat in line for two hours to ride the Superman, and when I went to get on it, I couldn't fit on it. And it was really humiliating. And so after that, I started a weight loss journey, started the fitness journey, 
Um, kind of been on that journey ever since. I wasn't really raised in a great environment around food and I don't have the best genetics in my family either. And so really just kind of wanted to take control of my health. And, you know, it's always moving, it's always in motion. So it's not, it's definitely not over. So. Awesome. What about you, Lee? Um, so I'm a physician, so I talk about this daily with my patients. Um, I'm specifically a neurologist, so I talk about it a lot in regards to nerve, spine, and brain health. But also personally, um, I grew up in a very much a medical family. My father is a PhD basic science researcher in Nashville. My mom's a nurse practitioner. I have several doctors as aunts and uncles. So I, I kind of just grew up constantly being reminded of the importance of physical health. And um, so my family was really good about kind of encouraging regular exercise and healthy eating and modeled that really well. Um, you know, I think, you know, my whole family is very serious about that. And so that's just become a regular part of my life. And uh, so that's just kind of my. And I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but let me ask you if you, if you can say, you know, in a, in a, in a few seconds, what would you say? For someone going from their 20s into their 30s or their 30s into their 40s, what's like the number one health-related topic that e either they're um, maybe ignorant of or, or you need to explain to them or, or whatever? Is there is there one? Well, I see a lot of people who have migraines. Uh, migraines affect half of women in the world and a large proportion of men. They're the second leading cause of disability in the world. And so I see a lot of people who are young with this problem and diet's a big component of that. You know, being overweight is a big risk factor for intractable migraines. Also, you know, there's a lot of kind of dietary changes that can help with migraines and hurt migraines as well. That's just a specific one to what I see, but, but certainly weight is the big thing, you know, and it's actually becoming an increasing problem, particularly in our area of the country. Let's go to question three, uh, and we'll start with Cameron on this one. How do you see being in tune to your physical health, or maybe us as a collective group being in tune to our physical health, as also connected to and contributing to your or our discipleship or growing faith in Jesus? Yeah, absolutely, John. So, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned from it is discipline and self-control. And so the Bible has a lot to say about that. If you look at Titus 1.8, it says, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And, you know, Paul writes in 2 Timothy verse 1, 7, for God gave a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so I think that being in tune with your physical health, you have to have discipline. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, right? Because nobody's perfect. But for example, if you're going to follow like a diet plan or an exercise plan, you have to be disciplined and you have to be consistent, right? Um, and much like our walk with God, it's no different. You know, in the way that we exercise and build our physical muscles, we have to spend time seeking God through prayer and scripture so that we can build our spiritual muscles too. So for me, I think that because of that discipline, you know, I, my, my time with God is very important and time that I spend in prayer and scripture. And so I think that in the same way that I'm disciplined and I follow my diet plan, I'm also disciplined in the time that I spend with God. What about you, Ian? Can you repeat the question? So how do you see being in tune to your physical health or other people being in tune to their physical health? How does that contribute to their discipleship or their growing faith in Jesus? 
or how does it connect to it? Connect or contribute? Sure. Um, I'm going to speak experientially about this. So for me, if I am regularly addressing my health needs in a positive way, for me, that, that consists of regular multiple times a week of kind of moderate intensity exercise of about 20 to 30 minutes, you know, several times a week, and then kind of more light intensity exercise, like a walk with my family for 30 minutes, a couple more times a week. Um, at this stage in my life, that's what I'm able to do. Previously, I was able to do more, but if I'm kind of in tune with those kind of things, I notice that it's a lot easier to have a devotional time. It's a lot easier to resist temptation. It's a lot easier to, you know, listen to the spirit. I, my body feels better. And because my body feels better, I'm able, my attention can be on good things. And so that, that just experientially, it makes, you know, following Christ easier. What about you, Shelly? Ditto. <laughs> like, yes, so to both things, discipline, motivation, and I think, um, desire too. Like when I am more careful about the things that I eat and staying on top of medication and things like that, I have more of a desire because I feel better too serve the Lord and give him all that I have because I actually have the energy. Yeah. And I'll throw you a softball too. So one thing I know about Shelly, cause we're on staff together. So we'll go to conferences, we'll go to staff retreats or whatever. Um, one thing we haven't talked about that is a component. And, and, and I do want to emphasize, again, we talk about the idea of physical health. We talk about often sexuality. We talk about often fitness or diet, but it is more than that. And for you, it's been a process of discovery and, and food and like what hurts your body. Uh, for you, Cameron, it's been that plus fitness and things like that. For you, Ian, it's been, uh, it's been what you're surrounded with professionally. And there are things, I think, to be in tune with in each of those avenues. As you age, particularly, I mean, things like ALFs will begin to reveal themselves in your 20s and 30s. It's something to be attuned to. I know I was watching uh, the Michael J. Fox documentary on Apple TV, when I was flying back from Seattle, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 29. So, so there were things like that to be in tune to as well. But one thing we didn't talk about that's a component of physical health that I know Shelly is really good at is sleeping. Because uh, that'll, that'll do a lot to what you guys talk about. That'll contribute to your discipleship. That'll contribute to your growing faith because you'll have energy to do things. You'll have opportunities to focus. I know sleep deprivation is a major, major health issue for young adults, for teenagers. I still sometimes, my wife will tell you, my sleep habits are like I'm still in college sometimes and it catches up to me faster than it used to. But I know like we'll be, like when we go on staff retreats, I'm like, everybody stay up. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna play games and all that. And Shelly's always like, hey, it's 8.30, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so, and there's a part of me that really respects that. But that's a part of your, that's a part of your health too. Yeah, uh, I mean, Jesus slept. Um, so that's true. I think it's a biblical model we can all follow, but it, it is. It's a big part of my health and um, keeping my energy up and taking naps. They're great, not just for kids. Uh, we'll move on to question four, and we'll start this one with, with Ian. We're talking about our, or personally addressing the topic of physical health. It's easy for people to feel body shamed. So how do you approach your physical health and this topic from a healthy perspective rather than a shame perspective? And how would you encourage others to do the same? So... I think there's kind of two ways that 
most of society kind of approaches health in an unhealthy way. And I think the first, the first way is kind of discounting it or kind of underemphasizing it. And then the other way is kind of the opposite. So kind of in a way, kind of worshiping it or holding it too high. I think if you're underemphasizing it or kind of ignoring it, that can kind of lead to a couple of problems. Obviously, it can lead to poor health decisions. But actually, also, I think it can lead to a bad example to non-Christians because I think a lot of people deal with this issue, whether you're a Christian or not. And I think as, as Christians, if we, can, if we can kind of treat health in a, you know, in kind of a right-sized manner, you know, um, Travis talked about this um, with kind of humility, I think, I think it's, it can really be a positive witnessing aspect in your life. I think also, you know, overemphasizing it can bring its own problems. While it might lead to some positive outward change, it can lead to some inward issues, and I think it can harm us in that manner too. So, so we have to kind of, just as um, John was mentioning, you know, it's, it's important to kind of look at health from a biblical perspective from a healthy perspective and, and not to over or under, underemphasize it. Yeah. One thing that what you said made me think of, and, and I was thinking about this in relation to this topic, C.S. Lewis talks about the idea of how we engage with the thinking about the spiritual realm. And he says, there's two mistakes that people often make. And one is like overemphasizing the spiritual realm and the other is underemphasizing the spiritual realm. So one is you you're too obsessed with it or one is you don't think about it at all. And I think he would say you'd find a happy medium there for that particular topic. But I think about that with this topic as well. I think that echoes what you said. What about you, Shelly? Um, I think a lot of grace as someone with allergies. I'm the person when we go to order dinner, I have to say, can I please have that without bacon? And it's an automatic, like, are you serious? Because no one wants to remove bacon or the barbecue pork or whatever it is. Um, so I, especially when I was a teenager, I felt a lot of shame because no one had allergies at that point or no one I was with. And so always being the one who needed to be different or had to ask all these questions was hard. And as I've gotten older, I have learned to come at it with a lot of grace. We all have a lot of different needs or wants when it comes to our physical health. And I understand my situation and my situation only really from my point of view. But if I can look at someone else with grace and openness and understanding, then I am way more open to hearing them out and supporting them in their needs and also just being someone they can confide in. So um, grace. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing that I would say is I think, you know, kind of if we look at our worldly view that oftentimes we focus on like the negative aspects of how we look and we we have these, ne- or at least I know I did, I can speak personally, that I had negative thoughts, you know, about I didn't like the way that I looked, that I hated myself, things like that. And really, you know, we have to flip that and say like, well, we want to make this change because we love ourselves, right? You know, Paul writes in Ephesians that for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And so, um, you know, we shouldn't, we should love ourselves. We shouldn't feel body shamed and we try to put a focus on our physical health, right? Um, and another quote that I, I thought of when I was answering these questions is from Teddy Roosevelt that said, comparison is the thief of joy. 
And so oftentimes I think we look at social media, we look at what's in magazines and we compare ourselves to what these perfect images are. And we have to understand that, you know, despite wanting to look like that, you can't outrun your genes, you can't change those things. And so that might not be attainable, right? And, and no one should aspire for that. So I think just um, not beating yourself up and then really focusing on loving yourself if you want to make a change. And sometimes you have, you know, genetic predispositions to things. And I think and it could be any kind of uh, ailment or disease or whatever. And I think our, our task then is to live to the best of our ability, even with that in mind. And, and it can be, you know, that, that can be anything from you know, physical ailments to um, things that, you know, affect the way, uh, you know, we process foods or whatever. So uh, I will say too, like the, the balance here, that's something I struggle with personally. I'll just, I'll just be clear with you guys. You know, when I went to Washington State, I was at our instructor's Leonard Sweet. We were at his house and I was, you know, I was in Washington State. So I was like, I knew we were eating at his house and staying at his house and all that. And I was like, you know, we're going to be having avocado toast and all that. And his wife's from Alabama. Our first meal was biscuits and gravy. I was like, these are my people. And we, we ate a lot of really good food. We feasted. And he would say, this, this is going to be one of my favorite phrases now. He would say, we don't eat like this all the time for special occasions. And he says, uh, I always say everything in moderation, including moderation. So he, he encouraged us to feast together. My other favorite phrase is diet starts tomorrow. Um, I say that almost every day. But I've been feasting for two weeks because so I came back from that and had graduation. And it has physically had an effect on me. Like, I, I do feel like just the, the drudgery of it or whatever. So, like, I seriously, diet starts tomorrow. So, uh, but that's a struggle I live with. So, um, all right. So, last question before we take some questions from the audience. Paying attention and making changes to our physical health is a hard and, and usually involves a, a, an incremental process. So how would you encourage someone to get started in taking their physical health more seriously in whatever avenue that is? And, and I would say, if you're thinking about it, start small, start manageable. If, if you struggle with sleep, just say, hey, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take I'm going to really concentrate on getting sleep. If it's food or if it's finding something that might be having some kind of effect on your body, start with that. Start small. But how would you guys encourage someone to get started in thinking about their physical health and taking it more seriously and then pushing through when it can get discouraging. We'll start again with Shelly. I think just asking questions. I mean, that's how I learned I had an allergy. I had to go to the doctor and ask questions. Why am I getting so sick? Um, now that I'm learning how to be gluten-free, I ask Kristen Prasad all kinds of questions. There are lots of people in this church that are gluten-free, which is so helpful. Because um, I learn all the tricks. So I think being open and asking questions and just having a willingness to share where you're coming from is a big part. And I know that that's hard, especially to admit like, hey, we need help or, or hey, we've really got to be serious about these changes. But if we can root ourselves in openness and willingness, I think we can really start to make changes and see change. Cameron? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say if you're thinking about getting started, just do something. I, I know that's going to sound kind of simple, but I think oftentimes we focus on, you know, what's the best way to do something and we get in what I call analysis paralysis, right? So we just spend too much time analyzing what's the best this or what's the best that. And, and then you're not consistent, right? Or maybe you do something for a week and you feel like you've, you're not seeing the results that you want and you just have to have some patience, right? It's not going to come immediately. And just remember, keep in your mind like why you're starting this, you know, keep that in the forefront and, um, and just be patient. 
Yeah, I think um, I'm going to get on my doctor box. So I think if if you are if you have a chronic medical issue, if you are overweight, or if you're 35 or older, you should be seeing a primary care doctor annually. And I say that because there's a lot of things from a medical perspective that you're going to have no symptoms of. And um, this is kind of, that's kind of the age things start to happen. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea. I see people who are not overweight get these things starting around this time or even earlier. And so if you have it's, it's never wrong to be seeing a primary care doctor regularly to just screen for these things so you can stay kind of on top of things. And, um, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So it's, I think that's my first thing. I think the other thing is, you know, I, I found um, this acronym to be really helpful whenever I'm trying to accomplish a goal. It's called SMART, Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Realistic, Time Sensitive. So if you're going to do something, just make sure it's meeting those criteria. Because if you just want to say, I want to be healthier, well, that's not really, how are you going to do that? You know, and, and so that, that's just a good place to start. Um, and then the other thing is I see a lot of patients ask me, you know, what, what do you think about this diet? You know, what do you think about that diet? I think at the end of the day, there are so many things that go into, you know, dietary considerations. And we've talked about those things, you know, everyone's got their own situation, but in general, I'm really hesitant to recommend something specific because actually the data suggests that there is minimal difference between any of these diets and actually achieving weight loss goals, if that's your goal or keeping off weight. And also a lot of these diets are not very sustainable. You know, keto's like kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and so particularly like in our culture, you know, and so um, I think not to mention actually keto long-term has negative side effects actually. So, so anyway, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And so I, I just really encourage you, you know, if you have, if you want to do a specific diet, I think that's wonderful. Just, you know, if you're going to get advice, get it from somebody who is a professional, you know, a diet, there's lots of dietitians in town. I mean, we're in Huntsville, Alabama, like there's lots of really brilliant people who know a lot about diet here. And, and there's lots of really brilliant people like Cameron who know about working out. So I, you know, just ask, you know, get, get advice. Yeah. I think you all touched on this and I think that's the broadest thing that we could, we could sort of end with is let's be willing to talk about this and let's have open avenues of communication. I think with each of these topics, we're, you know, we're talking about physical health, but we're also going to talk about mental health and aging. I think that's something our culture doesn't talk about well. So my whole goal with all of this is let's be, let's be open and hold grace for one another, be open for conversation, for question, for challenge. One of the ways that Alcoholics Anonymous works is because they do it in community. You, it's it's hard to do that kind of thing, near impossible to do that kind of thing on your own. You need others to do it with you. You need others to be on that journey with you and to have open lines of communication with. And I would offer as well, you're going to have times where you fall off the horse or whatever it is. You're going to have times where you stumble. The best illustration I've ever heard of our spiritual walk 
and what it means to try to live a righteous life has been uh, to, to, to keep in mind the idea of like Major League Baseball. So there's 162 games in a season. No team has ever gone undefeated. It's, it's rare to win 100 games. So they know they're going to at least lose probably 40 games. But yet, every player goes out every single day and they try to win that day. They know they won't win every game, but they try to win every day. And that was given to me, taught to me in regard to our spiritual walk and in regard to righteousness and the fact that we do stumble at times. But I think that can also apply to physical health and our journey there. We're going to have nights where um, we don't sleep or we're going to have days where we, we feast instead of fast. So just remember, if you stumble or you, you fall off that horse, it's always possible to get right back on. Uh, let's see what questions you might have. All right, so um, question number one, what role does fasting have in a healthy diet slash lifestyle? Any of you want to take that one? Um, I'm not a dietitian, So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there is some, there is some data that intermittent fasting can be helpful. I, I think that I'm going to back up a little bit. I think the key here is if you talk to a hundred people who are dieting, you know, you're going to get 200 different answers. And so the key here is you don't have to try to fit, you know, a circle into a, a square hole. So find something that you, that resonates with you and preferably do it with someone else, particularly with exercise and dieting. Um, you know, I, for instance, in medical school, I did, I was trying to train for, you know, a race and I did it with friends and it was like, it was so fun. It was like some of the best memories I've ever had. And it, it's just a great way to connect with people. And so I'm, I'm not answering your question, but I'm, I'm kind of, I, I think fasting is, is a fine option if you can sustain it. The key here is, is there are people in different situations. There are people who are trying to kind of maintain a healthy lifestyle. And then there's also people who are trying to get there. And the key here is like, you know, most of us are going to live longer than tomorrow, hopefully. And so this is the long, this, we're playing a long game here. So you need to think, just be thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would add, you know, I, I, I try to incorporate it. Um, for me, it, it provides a level, a level of mental clarity that I enjoy. You know, I feel, you know, especially if I'm doing it kind of around my prayer time, I like that. You know, I just feel more in sync. So uh, it's something that I do. All right. <laughs> this one has emerged to the most popular question. How many cups of coffee a day is too much? Let me, let me preface this by saying when I was in Washington, I had to go to the clinic my first morning there. And so I just went to one of those walk-in clinics. And uh, of course, they, they took my blood pressure. For the first time in my life, I had high blood pressure. And they were like, like what, you know, what, do you, what do you eat or whatever? And I was like, well, I'm, you know, typical American diet. And she said, do you drink a lot of coffee? And I said, well, I got in at like, one, I got, by the time I got to bed, it was like 1 a.m. your time. And now it's 7 or 8 or whatever. And I, I said, I probably slept four hours and I've had about four cups of coffee. And she's like, that might be it. <laughs> so you can't go to the doctor when you go home. But, but so how many cups of coffee a day is, is too much? I drink two or three. I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a hard question to answer. Um, I, I don't know that there is a rigorous study I can cite for you, but you know, as long as 
you know, I, I would say, I think there was a study recently that said like greater than six is like probably bad, but I think, I think it also might depend if you're drinking it black versus drinking it with cream and sugar all the time. So I have had three today. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I would say that, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to go there. I will, I will say, so a, a big contributor to excess calories in our diets is stuff we drink huge and coffee for adults is a big one. So a Starbucks like mocha frappuccino has like 400 calories or something. It's ridiculous, which is like, you know, a fifth of your daily needed intake. So you basically just ate a meal. So, um, so just, just be very mindful. Drinking calories is a very easy way to kind of get off your goal. And so, um, just be mindful of it. We'll do, uh, the third question on there. How has, or has physical health been a solo journey? I think maybe we talked about this, but maybe if you have something where you could be more specific, how has it been a, um, how have you found support with that and others, or has it just been something that's been solo for you? Uh, for me, absolutely not a solo journey. Uh, my wife, Melissa is over there. She's a fantastic partner, really supported me um, help me along a lot. So I would try, if you have a community system, community is important for all that we do. And so if you can join, you can find community, however that is, I think it will, you know, there's power, um, in aligning for that. So I, I definitely say you could try to do it solo, but I think that if you have a support system, it's infinitely better. Uh, Shelly, do you have a thought on that? Yeah. So with allergies, um, it's super important to have that support with you because you're trying to figure out what you can have, what you can't have, how to make things differently. You know, as a teenager, it was kind of all on my parents. I also don't cook. I still don't. It's not my favorite. So it was all on my parents to kind of help me figure out this is how you can eat. Let's find options for this. This is how you'll get protein in your diet. And now as an adult, it's asking questions of people. What is an alternative you've found that you really like? And okay, maybe I can try that too. So I would not be able to do it without a support system of some sort. Yeah. So I, again, I'll close by saying, let's, let's keep this conversation going. Um, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer so that uh, those of you who, who have kids that you need to go pick up, you can do that. If you're going to sanctuary, you can do that. But let's keep this conversation about our health going because it is our bodies um, that do matter. They matter to God and they do contribute to our spiritual walk and our life with God and, and what it means to be devoted to him. So let's pray together and thank you guys for being here. Father God, we thank you so much for this time to gather together and to look together in your word and to talk together and have a conversation about what it means to care for our bodies and specifically today about our physical health. Uh, what it means to be mindful of that and mindful of the things that can can ail us and perhaps even distract us from our focus on you. So God, we pray uh, today that as we leave here, that you would keep these ideas fresh, that if uh, any of us have uh, any sort of inspiration uh, today to, to make a, a change for better in our lives, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us in that. We pray that you would give us a community of people to support us in that. And we pray that you give us the courage to to talk and to share about that because you care about us. You care about our bodies. You promised to to raise our bodies again. And so God, we, we want to do the best we can to, uh, to take care of our bodies in order to glorify you. Uh, be with us as we go. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.